And we are back here on Dog to Dog AM here on KNSI Radio in St. Cloud, Minnesota. We are 1450 on the AM dial and 99.3 on the FM dial. And this year on Halloween night in the year 2020, I am taking your calls on anything that goes bump in the night. I am taking your calls on anything spooky. And I'm taking your calls, your experiences, on anything that made you scared, that made you freak out. Anything and everything is on the table tonight here on Halloween night 2020. We are on KNSI Radio Broadcasting Worldwide as well. I am your host, the Dirty Dog Darcy, the Dirty Dog Face Gremlin, on this Halloween night. And we have a caller on the wild card line. It is Jimmy from Tallahassee. Jimmy, I'm listening. Thanks, Doc, for taking my call. Going home late last night, suddenly I got a fright. I looked through a window and surprised what I saw. Fairy boots are dancing with a dwarf all right now. Yeah, fairy wearing boots. You gotta believe me, dog. I saw it, I saw it, and I tell you no lies, daddy. Yeah, fairy wearing boots. You gotta believe me. I saw it, I saw it with my two eyes, daddy. Yeah, fairy wearing boots. You gotta believe me, dirty dog. I saw it, I saw it, I tell you no lies. Fairy wear boots, you gotta believe me. I saw it, I saw it with my own two eyes, daddy. I received this information from an alien. As I told my husband, it was in the Paramus Holiday Inn. I was having a drink at the bar, alone, and this alien approached me. He started talking to me. He bought me a drink, and then I think he must have used some kind of a ray or a mind control device because he forced me to follow him to his room. And that's where he told me about the end of the world. So your alien had a room at the Holiday Inn. Something that always scares me is also this time of year when the sun goes down a little sooner. The sun doesn't come up as early in the morning hours. There's a chill in the air. Something always frightens me in the middle of the night. Don't know what's around the corner. Don't know what's making those sounds in my alleyway. Just don't know what really is all happening because visibly really can't see that much ahead of ahead of me. My ears often deceive me. My emotions tend to be on alert because no not all of my senses are running wild 
and all that fun stuff. And I feel like there'll be a fun discussion on conversations with the dog on Halloween day, Halloween night, wherever you may be, whenever you get a chance to download this in the future. This episode of Conversations with the Dog will be dropped on Halloween Day 2020, October the 31st, 2020, on a spooky Saturday. One of the reasons why I wanted to do a episode of Conversations with the Dog on Halloween Day, I guess on things that do go bump in the night, on spooky matters, was I am a huge fan of campfire stories, of hearing people's different paranormal experiences, just hearing stories on what people encountered, just because obviously I find it interesting to hear what they experienced, what they believed happened, and the great unknown on who really knows what they seen, what they experienced, what it was, only God above knows. And I always, always love hearing different podcasts nowadays, like Carl Stern's Dragon King Dark on Sundays at com. Jim Harrell's Campfire Stories, Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie, Ian Punnett, Fade to Black with Jimmy Church, The Kingdom of Night with Heather Wade, Darkness Radio with Dave Schrader and Tim Dennis. I just love hearing different podcasts with different hosts covering different topics of aliens, UFOs, black-eyed children, whatever they may have experienced in their hometown or traveling or whatever else because there's really no easy way No easy solution on what actually did or may have occurred. And I wanted to bring you some stories here on conversations with the dog on Halloween night in 2020 of the year of our Lord on October the 31st on different classic episodes of Art Bell's Ghost to Ghost AM from years past on a few callers that I found to be very, very interesting, I will be giving you guys my thoughts and opinions on what the conversation was about, what the caller was talking about, just to, I guess, bring together this community and just have some fun times and conversations. I will be joined by a few friends throughout the podcast today. I hope you guys enjoy the story, these stories, this conversation, this podcast. I also leave comments below on your thoughts, your experiences. And I guess if this is successful, I'll record another show down the road. Maybe with your experiences, maybe with your stories, maybe with you in the passenger seat. On this cold, cold fall night, maybe our next year's Halloween. Ah, 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 ah. 
Now, east of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello? Yes, sir. Oh, great. You're talking to me. I am, yes. All right. Where are you? I'm in Charleston. Okay. Uh, Charleston? South Carolina. South Carolina. And I'm, I'm a police officer, and that doesn't make me more credible, I'm sure. But Yes, it does. Um, anyway, um, I have had numerous experiences with entities, and um, I would probably say in my lifetime, 30 years, I would say probably 10 or 15. Uh, how long have you been a, a police officer? About five years. Five years. All I've right. had several on the job. But um, actually, the one I was going to talk about was what happened as a child. Fire away. Um, I'm not going to waste time or anything, but... When I was a child, I was about um, six or seven years, and it was right after an experience that I had uh, two years prior um, with the miracle with the religious uh, person, okay? Okay. And we had moved into this new house, and everything that happened in this house was really odd. Um, I remember every Halloween, every um, really evil thing that went on. I, I remember, I don't remember Christmas or anything. Um, nice in that house. Make well, a long story give me short. any specific. You, uh, we don't have a lot of time. Well, make a long story hour. short. I just went to bed and I'd laid down. I was about six or seven years old. And when I laid down in bed, I turned my nightlight on and I laid down. And my brothers had went to bed. And they, um, once I had laid down, the um, I heard footsteps coming towards my door. And it's much like that other police officer had talked about. Oh, yes. Except. The weird thing about this one was it wasn't a hazy glow or anything like that. It actually, it, it was, I call it a demon. But I had laid down, well, I had not even closed my eyes. Could you actually describe what it looked oh, like? Oh, absolutely, what did, absolutely. And then do it. Tell what me. had happened was it stepped what, in my door. And tell, it was, tell me what it looked like. It was about six or seven feet tall. It was a figure of a dog, believe it or not. Oh, brother. And it was a, a demonic look. Um, it had hair. When I first saw Cujo, it had muddy, bloody, matted fur, just like Cujo had after right. it attacked all the people. And when it walked in, I smelled the odor of what I call pure death. If I ever smelled it again, I'd probably get sick. Um, it walked into my room. It looked at me, and it had bangs on the front of the, on the bottom jaw that went straight up. You're a police officer. You yes, know what? Absolutely. You, you know what death smells like, though. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And um, but I, you know. I hadn't smelled that at six or seven years old, but and I've not smelled anything like it since. But and the top fangs went straight down, had long fingernails, and it came in. It looked at me. It walked towards my bed, and the only thing I could think of to do was cover my eyes and start praying, and which I did. And it, it leaned over me and was. Uh, officer, um, hold it right there. We're uh, we're at the uh, top of the hour, so sure. can you can you afford to hold uh, through Absolutely. the news? Absolutely. All right, yeah, good. Hold on then, please. Um, does it make somebody more credible uh, if they're a police officer or a fire lieutenant like that uh, previous caller? Yes, uh, because these are men trained in uh, observation. It's their job to observe and see what's going on and to observe it uh, accurately. So yes, of course, it adds some credibility uh, in that sense. Art Bell from the High Desert. This is Ghost to Ghost AM. Again, you're going to want to check out that picture on my website. Second one down. Girl 
either walking through a door or right in the middle of a door, manifesting right through a door. It's totally creepy. We will be back. To the uh, police officer, uh, and where are you again, sir? I'm in Charleston. Charleston, South Carolina. that's right, Charleston, South Carolina. I wanted to read this to you before you continue. Sure. Um, there's a man who writes from Wisconsin. Art, you know, it sounds like the policeman you're talking to had an encounter with Black Shuck, a spectral dog that has been reported all over the world, demonic? Question mark. That it, it may have been a demonic thing, and he calls it. A black shuck, a spectral dog, for whatever that's worth. Wow. You know, I, I've always wondered what it was because I've always had experiences where I've actually seen figures. I've had doors bang. I've had a lot of things happen. Yeah, but this thing looked like a dog in about this 60... Thing, this thing was actually physically there, you know, and, and it wasn't in the spiritual realm. It wasn't It wasn't cloudy. misty. It, it wasn't you misty. couldn't see through it. It was in a physical realm, and it topped my list as far as something that I could actually put my finger on, you know, and literally touch. If I had reached down, I probably could have touched it. But, you, of course, you don't know that for sure. I don't know that for sure, but the thing the thing was is that it, it scared me to the point where I'd actually covered up and I started praying. And I was always wondering if anybody else had that experience or if there was something in literature. Well, then maybe I just answered your question for you. you I'll, 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 have to, I'll have to do a little bit of research but, uh, on that myself. But the thing that really troubled me about the whole thing is I never spoke about it. I never told my family. Uh, you know, I'm the youngest of several bro two brothers. Right. You know, I never told anybody. And seven years ago, I was sitting there talking to my brother, and uh, the thing that shocked me, the whole situation, was we had uh, started talking about and He's also a police officer. And I spoke to him about you know, old houses, and he said, I didn't like this place, and I said, why? And he said, well, I had a problem there. And I said, what was that? And he described the creature to me. The same creature? The same, the same creature, and he said he was homesick, and he was laying on the couch, and it, he described it to a T. And I interjected okay. uh, periodically, so he knew that I knew exactly, we both saw the same thing. Well, we both validated it that, to each other. That, uh, my friend, thank you very much. That's as creepy as it gets. Uh, to see something, uh, you know, perhaps demonic. I mean, you can always later sort of close your mind, right, and, and think to yourself, no matter how real the experience was at that moment, hey, I dreamed it. I had some, you know, some kind of hallucination. Something. But... Uh, when somebody else saw exactly the same thing, then your options begin to dwindle pretty far. To me, it always interests me hearing stories like what that South Carolinian police officer experienced and talked to Art Bell about, about possibly seeing the Black Shuck. I pulled up that Black Shuck on Wikipedia, and I will read to you guys what Wikipedia has to say about about it, and Wikipedia goes on to say, the black shuck, old shuck, old shock, or simply shuck, is a name given to a East Egalian ghostly black dog, which is said to roam the coastline. One of the mainly, one of the many ghostly black dogs 
recorded in folklore across the British Isles. And according to accounts of the Black Shuck form around, obviously, folklore of Norfolk, Suffolk, the Cridshire Fens, and the Brit in Britain, have descriptions of the creature's appearance and nature vary considerably. It is sometimes recorded as the omen of death, but in other instances is described as compassionable. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the name Shuck derives from the Old English word Suka, devil fiend, from the root word Shuck, to terrify. The first mention in print of Black Shuck is by Reverend E.S. Taylor and in, in a 1850 edition of journal Notes and Queries, which describes Shuck the dog fiend, this phantom I have heard many persons in East Norfolk and even Cambridgeshire described as having seen a black shaggy dog with fiery eyes and of immense size who visits churchyards at midnight. Abraham Fleming's account of the appearance of a strange and terrible wanderer in 1577 is a famous account of the beast. Images of black sinister dogs have become part of the iconography of the area that have appeared in pop culture. Writing in 1877, Walter Rye stated that the shock was the most curious of our local apparitions as they are no doubt varieties of the same animal. Just hearing that police officer on Ghost to Ghost AM with Art Bell, I would be spooked, I would be scared, I would be stunned, surprised, I guess, in the spooky kind of a sense. And I wouldn't even know if I would want to go back into my next shift the following day, encountering something strange, something scary paranormal like possibly seeing a black dog sounding like the black shark something that is definitely wouldn't be fun to encounter fun to experience something that I enjoy doing whenever my schedule allows is to call into different radio shows in the liking, and I called into the Kingdom of Nye with Heather Wade recently on October the 2nd, 2020, and here is a snippet of my conversation with Miss Heather Wade from the Kingdom of Nye again at thekingdomofnye.com. Go out and check out her radio program, you can listen to her archives. $5 a month at our website, thekingdomofnigh.com. And Heather was groomed by the late, great Art Bell before his passing took over the, the his last radio program, Midnight in the Desert, before his last retirement. And she branched off into her own program, The Kingdom of Nigh, after 
his passing. So here is my phone call, my conversation with Heather Wade on her program, The Kingdom of Nye, again from October 2nd, 2020. Well, let's get to our conversation. I, I guess, do want, want to mention that I, I work for a delivery company. I work in the warehouse. Kind of, I get off work right around now, and about a month or so back, waiting for a van to get unloaded to move it and park it where it's supposed to go. I was looking up to the skies as I normally do, just to see if there's anything to observe, and I it was hard to really tell how far out it was because. We really didn't have that many clouds up in the sky at the moment, but I thought I saw a black dot up in the sky kind of going north-northwest along the Mississippi River. Oh. And I was trying to kind of figure out how kind of distant, you know, based off everything else in my surroundings, the building, the street lamps and everything, to try to figure out how far out it was or roughly how fast it was going it was hard to really figure it out because the sun being up obviously in the sky being blinding and my co-workers kind of look at me like okay why is why is the dog randomly staring up in the sky <laughs> you know is he yeah what's wrong with him and all that so I <laughs> it's hard to describe because again there was no clouds in the sky nothing to really kind of figure out how fast is going but it seemed to be going in a linear path when i did observe it well that's the trick for any ufo sighting Uh, that's why you generally want a sighting that's up close it's a little easier little not by a whole lot but a little easier to judge distance and speed the closer it is the farther away it is the more it looks like a dot, whether that's at night and it's a little white dot or in the daytime and it's a little black dot or silver dot up there. It's very difficult to tell the distance and the speed unless a plane goes by and you can compare. You need something to compare it to. Uh, but it sounds like you had yourself there, a UFO sighting. It's unidentified. We know that much. It's unidentified. And if it's that far away that it's just a dot, then whatever it is was certainly at a high enough altitude. You know how I usually judge if something is a UFO or not, like out of this world or not, is its movement. You said it was moving in a straight line. Did it ever <clears throat> zigzag or make any wild turns or at figure least when I was When I was observing it, no, I just uh, go in a straight linear line. Straight line. I have found just through experience, and look, I'm going to want it to be a UFO from outer space more than most people, but I've found from experience if something is moving in a straight line, it tends to have a rational explanation also. Yeah, because I, yeah, just a little bit I was observing of it, it didn't seem to zigzag or anything, and it seemed too high up to be a helicopter, and I didn't see any, like, red and white blinking lights for indicator for an airplane, but then again, with how high up it seemed to be, it probably would have been too harsh for me to even notice that. Well, you know what I would do if I were you? 
because any sighting like that is worth making a note of. I'd go to Peter Davenport's website, New Fork, I think it's .org, if I recall, and just make, it sounds like it wouldn't take much but two or three sentences to report what you saw and give a report to Peter Davenport on that, the location and whatnot, because you never know. There could have been other people in that same area that also saw it. And if you have corroborating reports on a sighting like that, it makes it even more interesting. Yeah, because I was obviously thinking about it, trying to figure things out and... By, I guess, mere definition, it can be classified as an unidentified flying object because I couldn't identify what it was. But, yeah, I was just, to me, just, I guess, kind of skeptical on thinking it was a flying saucer just because. But I'll definitely do some digging on that. Well, I would definitely make a report to Peter Davenport's website. Because you don't know if maybe someone else has reported the same sighting. And unless it's a little closer, but take it from someone that this has happened to, you know, seeing a saucer up close messes with you. And thinking of it, I know you mentioned your experience, your sighting multiple times in the show. I don't think I've ever heard you discuss much on how your cat's seem to act before and after the fact. And I ask because I've always been a cat lover, always had a cat or multiple multiple cats through most of my life. And you can obviously, and if you observe your cat and know that, you can tell when things are off by just how they're acting and all that. So I was wondering if your cats acted any differently before and after your experience and your sighting? Mm, well, when that happened, uh, we had Layla was the queen of the house and the only kitty in the house when that happened. And there was nothing beforehand. I had just, I think she was, in fact, sleeping on the bed that's in my office. So she was sleeping and I got up and decided to just go get some fresh air because I had been working all day. And I decided I was going to go out for a smoke break. So I opened the door, saw it. Now my mind is blown. So I close the door, go in to sit on the couch and now try to figure out what just happened. What did I just see? And she immediately ran out of the room and came and sat next to me on the couch. Like she kind of sensed that something had happened. She ran out of the room sort of expectant, like, are you okay? And and hopped up on the couch next to me and just sort of curled up next to me. Uh, she only does that if she thinks that something is wrong. So, yeah, I've never had anybody ask me that. So and, that's why I never brought it up. And I was also wondering, too, on had Art have had any sightings like that since yeah, you bought his second home from him. So I was just curious, too, on if Art really talked much about if he had much experiences with any sightings from there. Mm-hmm. The day I met him, uh, like I say, he gave me the nickel tour of the property, and he took me out back in the backyard area and pointed over at the mountains between these two little mountain ranges, he said, and that's where Area 51 is, right over there, between those two mountains. And I said, well, have you seen 
strange things out here. And he sort of laughed and smiled and kind of gestured with his hand. And he said, oh, yeah, all the time, all the time. Well, then I moved out here um, and uh, rented this place from him. He offered to, to rent it to me. And he told me then when I moved in, it was probably just the second or third day I'd even been here. And he said, oh, and by the way, if you see a UFO, call me and tell me because I want to come out and get a photo or I want to come see it too. So, you know, that doesn't happen very many places you move where your landlord says, oh, and by the way, if you see a UFO, make sure and call me and tell me. He was very upset when he found out that I saw that saucer and I didn't call him immediately because as soon as I saw it, like I told you, having a real experience like that will mess with you. It will mess with your mind. It does strange things to your mind to see something like that. And I wasn't sure if I called him, if that would make him think, oh, no, I've moved a complete lunatic next door. But, um, no, I eventually told him about it. I got brave and I told him about it. And he says, God, I wish you would have called me. Um, cause yeah, he saw a lot of things. He saw triangles out here, triangle craft. Of course, there's the one that everybody knows about that he saw, um, near here, but he saw triangle. He saw, uh, white dots in the sky out here. Actually, that's very common. It's so common. In fact, one time I had company out here and on, we were driving home, uh, I think from the store or something and the subject of UFOs come up and I said, well, on just about any given night, you can look up in the sky and see strange little lights moving around in strange ways. And we get out of the car and she was like, oh, okay. She's not really into UFOs, you know? And she says, all right, well, when we get into the driveway, let's take a look. And I said, sure. We got out of the car. And I said, yeah, about right over there, that area over there. Just we'll keep a, a, an eye on that area over there. Didn't take even three, maybe four minutes. And she goes, what's that? And there was one of them. It's just a little white light. You can't tell how far or close it is. And it, the movement is what gives it away because it moves around in ways that – what we have, the technology we have could not possibly move around. And she was stunned. I mean, we were laughing so hard because she couldn't figure out the timing. Like, how did you do that? I'm not doing it. That's whatever is up there in the sky that's doing it. And another thing, I don't know that I've mentioned this on the air before, but I've asked locals here, like the guy that fixes my Jeep and you know, the guy that does the pesticide or used to do the pesticide, you know, service people that come out and whatnot. I've asked locals out here, so have you seen any UFOs? Every single person I talked to in Pahrump has seen a UFO out here in this Pahrump Valley. I just find that fascinating. And as you mentioned, with you guys being so close to Area 51, and mm. I guess to tie it back in with when I uh, jumped on about Kurt Cobain and such, it always seemed like to be a bunch of conspiracies with Area 51 and flying mm -hmm. saucers. For good reason. For good reason. Um, <clears throat> so back in the day, back in, I mean way back in the day, at the beginning of a lot of this sort of late night talk stuff, at least late night weird talk stuff, 
um, George Knapp had a public access show on a Las Vegas television station. And Art had his late night talk show. And Art put on John Lear, and they started talking about UFOs, and the phone lines lit up, and Art realized, hey, I think it would be more fun to talk about UFOs. Well, then John Lear introduced his friend Bob Lazar to George Knapp, and he also introduced Bob Lazar to Art Bell. So George Knapp put him on his public access TV show, and Art put Bob Lazar on, on Coast back when it was Coast. If I can say that. I'm saying it anyway. Uh, so Bob Lazar told his story about working at Area 51 and working on what he referred to as a sport model flying saucer at Area 51. And a lot of people believe him. A lot of people do. Talk about a conspiracy, too. That is one of my favorites. Well, Bob Lazar, George Knapp, and Art Bell were the first people with John Lear's help. He was the one who made these sort of connections between the people. Um, that is what put Area 51 on the map as even a location at all. And people just never stopped talking about it. Once it come out, that was it. You could not put the genie back in the bottle. And the more Bob Lazar talked about it, the more of his story he told, the more people believed it because the guy sounds credible. And I talked to Art about Bob Lazar. Do you believe him? And Art said, yeah, I believe him. You talk to him on the phone privately. What do, you, what do you really think? Tell me, Art. What do you really think of him? He said, I don't know. He's a fun guy. He's an unusual guy. But Art said he never got the idea that he was making it up. Bob Lazar was making it up. Of course, Stanton Friedman had a whole other opinion. Stan and I used to argue about Bob Lazar. And he used to tell me, nah, don't be naive, kid. Don't believe that. He's making it up. It's not true. I just He never believed Bob Lazar. Stanton Friedman did. Um, but... That's why we got the conspiracies about Area 51 and the extraterrestrials there. And um, the old MJ-12 documents, you know, before mine, I'm talking about the original MJ-12 documents that, that were released and the FBI said were bogus, those first batch. They talk about um, a location in the Nevada desert where alien meetings with our military and our government take place. And it was later discovered that those locations are on and at Area 51, if not very close by to Area 51. And the Dulce, rumors about Dulce Base, New Mexico, of multi-layer underground bases where reptilians and greys live under there, working closely with the government, you know, those conspiracies sort of go hand in hand with your Area 51 conspiracies. So that's where some of that stuff comes from. I'm no, you know, hard and fast expert on that stuff, but that's what I know. What are your guys' thoughts and opinions of Heather's experience? Even my experience at work, seeing something flying overhead Again, like I mentioned, talking to Heather on the October 2nd, 
2020 edition of The Kingdom of Nye, I highly doubt that what I saw was a flying saucer, but in definition, mere definition of an unidentified flying object, in my opinion, it definitely falls in that category. I've always heard Heather talk about her UFO experience originally on Midnight in the Desert, then over on the Kingdom of Nye when she started her own program on her own. I always thought and thought and found her story fascinating, and it was a cool, I guess, addition of hearing how her cat Layla acted when she came back inside and it's always cool to hear stories from Heather on her experiences with the late great Art Bell, who was her mentor in getting into radio as listening to her or going through old archives of Art Bell's over the internet that's been uploaded on YouTube or different websites or on Coast to Coast AM as an insider or hearing my friend Carl Stern, or Dave Schrader, or Ian Punnett on Coast to Coast AM, or Dave Schrader from Minnesota. I I always enjoy hearing different stories from their real-life experiences because it reminds me as a, as a listener that we are all, we're all the same. We are all human we all have the same struggles and the same flaws, and we find things to be very, very spooky. I was thinking about, while listening back to Heather's and my conversation from the Kingdom of Nye radio show, I think what I am interested in hearing other people's experiences with the paranormal or... Just hearing stories of frightening fiction or campfire stories. I think I'm fascinated and interested in that because it's unexplainable. Like my story on possibly seeing something flying in the sky while at work. I don't know what that was. It didn't seem like a UFO. It seemed like an airplane. But it was a cloudless sky that day. Seemed really high up, even though most airplanes are extremely high up. But just things like that, or hearing other people's experiences on driving through Wisconsin and looking on into the ditch on Highway 94 because they thought they saw something on the corner of their eye and thinking they may see a wolf, a dogman, who's to say running along with them at the speed that they're going on I-94 in middle of Wisconsin going from the Minnesota border to Lake Michigan side for school or whatever that kind of stuff scares me and it gives me the shivers just knowing that there's so much wilderness here in Minnesota here in the Midwest in the United States even worldwide there's so much wilderness unmanned unseen unknown and we don't know if there are dogmen sasquatch whatever else out there we just don't know and we try to try to put it in terminology that we 
are just so used to, and I've always heard stories and had conversations with his coworkers about Bigfoot. Just wondering, like, hey, you know, we may have not found a body, a corpse, whatever else, but that just doesn't mean Sasquatch, the Bigfoot, the Yeti, ain't real. I am talking to a Yeti microphone for the podcast, so in essence, yes, the Yeti is real. I'll say as a joke. But we, I do like that idea, that theology, the theory, more or less, not theology, but a theory on, we might not have a body, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't exist. It, I'll say that theory, that breath, Bigfoot, we don't know if it's real, doesn't mean it isn't real because we don't have a body to hold on to, to see, to visually see. But again, that doesn't mean the Bigfoot, the Yeti, the bottle snowman just isn't real. Again, I am interested on your guys' stories, your guys' experiences, anything that may have been passed down to you as folklore from over the years, from your family, from past generations, from past co-workers or old friends or whatever. I am very, very, very curious and interested in hearing your guys' stories as well. Because we are all in this together, in this thing called life. And there are a lot of things, many of things, that is unexplainable in the great unknown. And we are again in this together. First time caller line, you're on the air, Ghost to Ghost AM. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, my name's Jerry. Um, well, I, I, since I was a kid, I've seen several different things. I guess I've been kind of sensitive to it. Uh-huh. And actually... It's kind of funny is that some of the spirits have told me that all they really want is to be seen and, and to be acknowledged. Um, but yeah, I, I take it that's a problem on the other side, uh, that you're not seen, you're not acknowledged, and that must be rather frustrating for the people on the other side. Yeah, it seems if you can see them or, or feel them that they you become a magnet for them. That, all, that, that would also make sense. I mean, if they finally find somebody who can either sense them or know they're there and, uh, you know, is acknowledging them, giving them feedback, something they don't have on the other side, then naturally they're going to, you know, they're going to be drawn to that person. Well, unfortunately, I had a, a very bad one that stuck to me and stayed with me for several years and occasionally still does little things to let me know that he's still around. Like what? Well, um, moving things around in front of me. Um, I, sometimes I'll see a uh, shadow, like a shadow person. Yes. Um, or out of the dark darkness, so I'll hear him call my name. And so you know it's this person? Same yeah, person. actually, he, he gave himself a name. He said his name is Tommy. Tommy. Yeah. And the way I met him was a long time ago. It was probably about 10 years ago. My uh, other friend's house, and, and one of them decided that they wanted to play the Ouija board. And he made it uh. out of a piece of paper. Uh, uh. So that... Goes to show you, it's not the game. It's, no, it's, it's the people. No. It's it's your your will, your wish, your intent. It's not the thing. All you've got to do is sit there and wish it to be, and the door opens. Yeah, exactly. You call them, and and they'll come. Yeah. 
But one thing that he did do that isn't normally on the board is he put a pentagram on there. I had never seen one of those before. I never seen a Ouija board, so I didn't know that wasn't supposed to be there. Well, I don't know. Bad idea. Yeah, I found out later that that pretty much means you're calling evil spirits. And along came Tommy. And yeah, and at first he said he was a, a small child that was uh, killed in a car wreck in the forties. Um, his uncle was drunk and he hit a tree and and he. I went through the windshield and cut his neck, and he, he bled to death. That's quite a story. You're saying he lied? Yeah. Yeah, he told me he lied later. <laughs> and and so, anyways, he tells us this whole story about how he died. And at first, he was really nice, and, and we were just asking different questions. And um, then he started to get meaner and meaner. And uh, yeah. we started asking him, are you really a small boy? And finally, he said, no, I'm not. Are you stupid? And started, you know, insulting everyone. And some of the girls started getting scared, and so they were telling the people that were touching the, the little ring to tell them to leave. And um, he started saying, I can do whatever I want, um, and I won't leave unless I want to. Mm-hmm. And so they got pushier and pushier, and finally he said, you'll be sorry. And so that night, everyone, they split their different ways. And two of the girls on their way home, uh, one the girl driving looks in the rearview mirror, and she sees a, a shadow person sitting in the back seat. And so they're freaking out. She drives as quickly as she can home. Uh, they run inside. It actually was walking back and forth on the porch, and they could see it like a three-dimension shadow. And then <laughs> at, at well, well, see, all right. I, you know, I don't know if there's more to it, but I mean, that's the lesson. These things walk through. You open the door, they walk through, and they can be with you for years. Yeah, and see, out of all the people there. It stayed with me. Yeah, I got but, that. How how old are you now? I'm 28. And uh, 28, and it still is with you. Yeah, it, it doesn't bother me as much. But um, <laughs> that night, uh, the, one of the the people at that that house happened to be my girlfriend, and she called me crying, saying something was scratching her wall. I thought, well, maybe it was a mouse in the in the wall, just making a little scratching noise. And I heard a loud scratch, so I said, I'm coming over to pick you up. I'll be right there. So I turn on my light. And I get up, and I hear something over my head. And I look up, and the the chains from the fan yeah. are just swinging from side to side, hitting the fan. Yes. Go, oh, my gosh, what do we do? So I t- And then I hear something behind me. I turn around, and the cord for the, the blinds, it's pulling up into the air and then dropping and hitting the, the blinds. And it's just pulling up and dropping, pulling up and dropping. So I know that we did something really bad. Yes, you did. We took. I went over there to pick her up, and on her wall, the scratches started at the ceiling, and they went all the way down to the pillow right by her head. But they actually went through the, the paint, the spackling, and through the sheetrock into the middle where the chalk was at. Let me tell you something. You need to get some help. No, it, it it's pretty much left me. As long as I don't bother it or, uh, or encourage it, it doesn't seem to bother when me. When you least expect it. I, I mean, good luck to you, but by, I'm telling you right now, unless you have solid evidence, this you know th- thing really has left. Uh, believe me, it is still with you. It's still there. And uh, whatever it was, you let through. It it was definitely not good. Stories like that always make me want or not want to have anything to do with the Ouija board because of stories, ideas of 
drawing negative spirits through the Ouija board to communicate, even though your will might be pure at the time of wanting to talk to a past loved one on the other side. But still, just hearing stories like that with that caller from a past Ghost to Ghost AM episode with the legendary RPL, I just have no interest in dealing with the Ouija board because I do not want to possibly bring something in to my apartment and have to deal with that in the, in the middle of the day while I'm trying to sleep or coming home in the middle of the night after a long shift at work and dealing with something supernatural, something unseen. I have absolutely no interest on dealing with the Ouija board and summoning, summoning anything anything unwelcomed. And I thought that was very interesting hearing that college experience with talking to a spirit that named itself Tommy. Partially because growing up in elementary school, preschool days, I had a best friend in my neighborhood named Tommy. So I definitely have a personal connection there. But I just thought that was interesting to hear a story about from that caller about summoning a spirit named Tommy who lied and became meaner and meaner and meaner over their conversation with the spirit through the their handmade Ouija board. And that story about seeing a shadow person, a 3D version of a shadow person, in their car, scares the living daylights out of me just hearing stories about shadow people. A lot of times in somebody's office, home office, or their bedroom when they're about to fall into sleep for the night or the day or whatever their case might be. Just hearing stories of shadow people and being sleep paralysis tied in with it. Stuff like that scares me because could it be spirits from the other side trying to communicate with us? Could it be fallen spirits trying to bring us down into the fiery depths of hell? Who knows and who's to say and stuff with, again, with the Ouija board always, always spooks the living daylights out of me because just experiences like that. I want nothing to do with, and I wouldn't know honestly what to do if I would encounter a shadow person. Not that I want to again. Just hearing, obviously, that caller's experience hearing that Art Bell had a shadow person experience right before coming back on for the last time for Midnight in the Desert, seeing a shadow person run across his home office a couple days, I believe, before launching Midnight in the Desert, and hearing other hosts, other callers, and two different shows having experiences with the shadow people and the hat man, Buddy Bones Man, 
even black eyed children, as I brought up earlier. No, thank you. I have absolutely no interest in anything like that. Stuff like that just spooks the living daylights out of me. And yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on the Ouija board and shadow people? Because stuff like that, again, is something I don't want to play with or even really like to think about because negativity is just so easy and I don't want to deal with negative spirits. That's me, though. With that, let's get to, let's go to a conversation with Joe Julian, one of my good friends who's on my regular podcast, Wrestling with a Dog, available at flareflop.com as a regular guest. And Joe and I will be talking about a folklore he brought up during the October 2020 series I did on Rust with the Dog podcast going into some Halloween Havoc matches that World Championship Wrestling put on in their existence as a wrestling promotion, as well as whatever else Joe and I get into discussing. So let's get to talking with the man himself. Here is my conversation with my friend, Joe Drillian, who I like to call... Joe Dracula. <laughs> and we are back, and I am joined by one of the members of the Decapitated Incorporated group. I am joined by the one and the only Joe Dracula. Joe, <laughs> on, on this year's Halloween. Good evening. In the Halloween Havoc 2020 series, you brought up a folklore from northern Wisconsin that I don't think I've ever heard about before, and I was very, very, very interested in it because from a little bit of research I've done, it was the origins is from Rylander, which is about a five-hour drive from where I'm currently located at, so I was interested and curious on everything that is known as, if I can pronounce this right, the Hodag. Hodag. Long A. Long A sound. The Hodag. Hey, you go up, you go up there up north and you see the Hodag, you know? Uh, it's... Uh, yeah. Man, let me tell you, on a dark night in the woods up there, you don't want to run into the Hodag. Yeah, the Hodag is Wisconsin's very own cryptid. Um, and it's uh it, it, it's it was debunked as a hoax a long long time ago um uh but you know it's uh it's one of those things that sort of embraced uh the Rhinelander high school mascot is in fact the hodag um so um it's yeah it's um it's just a it's just a Northwoods cryptid legend. It was allegedly uh, a a monster that was um, supposedly the result of um, 
when they burned ox that had died from being overworked, the ashes of the dead oxen culminated in this demon creature that um, was there to get revenge for the abuses that had been served on the oxen while they were alive, essentially, is the way the story goes. Because uh, what I'm really interested in, as well as just looking at Googling the Hodag and just looking at pictures, it is, I guess, I'm happy as a hoax, because either way, I wouldn't want to run into this creature in the North Woods, in northern Wisconsin, or, or even northern Minnesota. No, no, certainly not. It's a fearsome beast. There's a, there is a, the, and the Rhineland, Rhinelander has very, like I said, the high school there, it's the mascot and they, that the town of Rhinelander, Wisconsin, which is up North up there, um, has really, uh, sort of embraced the Hodag as their sort of local mascot. And in front of the chamber of commerce, if you go to the Wikipedia entry for the Hodag, there's a picture of the Hodag fiberglass sculpture that's in front of the Rhinelander chamber of commerce. Because um, it looks like a combination of maybe a, I guess a ox and a alligator and like a dinosaur kind of kind of sorts. Uh, yeah. Yep. And so, to my <laughs> knowledge, Rylander is pretty much. The way is the gateway to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's up there. Um, when I was young, my grandparents had a house in Vilas County, which is right on the border. You know, you would you would actually driving to their house, you would dip into the UP for just like not very. Long, I mean, a few yards at most, but it was just you would see a sign that said "Entering Michigan, Leaving Michigan," like <laughs> um, as you went to uh to their house and so that was and they were a little bit north of like we would go through rhinelander and uh, woodruff and minocqua and boulder junction those are kind of all the larger for northern by northern wisconsin standards those are like the larger places um my grandparents lived in a town uh called presque isle which is extremely remote and like i said it's up there in vilas county which is like north central wisconsin um, so yeah, uh, that's, that's, I think my initial exposure to the Hodag was probably visiting them up there and yeah, Rhinelander is, it's, it's up, up there in the North woods there. And something so. that I always enjoy having conversations with you, especially again with the Halloween Havoc 2020 series over at flutterflop.com on Rust with the Dog is... Hearing your thoughts and opinions on different horror films and the highest grossing horror films of each select year or whatever match we're covering. And I always enjoy also jumping on social media when, when I do and seeing your thoughts and opinions in written word on social media on <laughs> this horror film or that horror film or whatever else and especially since this would be released on Halloween Day 2020, I thought, who better than my friend Joe on discussing on what what is it about horror flicks that piqued your eye and piqued your interest? Um, that's a really long story. Also, I apologize if my cat is making noise because she is begging for attention. And 
being kind of annoying about it. So I, I just feel like your cat's making this a little bit more spooky. <laughs> she's not like being a creepy cat though. She's making like cute little chirping noises. So, um, so for me, I think it's, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to trace. I've always had an interest in, um, the, the spooky and the macabre and, uh, the weird and but but as a kid, as a little kid, I was terrified of horror films. Um, and it wasn't until probably close to junior high that I finally got over that. And it was really like the I mean, it was a gradual thing. So when I was young, I would read the scary stories to tell in the dark books were a big thing for me but they they did scare me um and the illustrations especially like i think if you're in a you're a few years younger than i am but i feel like those books have been a staple in school libraries since they were written because they predate me i think they were written before i was born the first one at least or the first two maybe even were written no no, i'm gonna look it up because that's gonna bother me um but it's you know uh, those books were fascinating to me. Um, you know, those, um, let's see here. The, yeah, 1981, the first one. So that was the first one came out the year before I was born. The final one came out when I was eight years old, it looks like. So, um, and, and it seems like they have been again, just an absolute, standard in school libraries and there's you know in a lot of towns there's some debate over whether they should be in elementary school libraries or not and a big part of that isn't that the stories are necessarily scary but the the sort of ink and pencil drawings of Stephen Gamble are absolutely terrifying uh even as an adult i i'm creeped out by some of the illustrations in those books and so that stuff like that and like teen horror or or young young you know horror for like uh are you afraid of the dark was a show that started probably around the same you know whatever i don't remember when snick actually started on nickelodeon but it was probably when i was about eight years old or nine years old and are you afraid of the dark was part of that lineup and that was part of it um, and then eventually that rolled into films. I've always loved Edgar Allan Poe. And so I, I can't really explain it's, it's why, how I got into it in the first place, except to say that I've just always had a fascination with ghosts and monsters and, and, and that kind of stuff. And then once I felt like I wasn't so scared of my own shadow that I could watch a horror film. And even as a kid, I used to like, I would go to the neighborhood video store And I would just like soak in the VHS covers of horror movies. And I was too way too terrified to watch any of them, any of the films. But I mean, of course what's ironic about that is, especially when you're talking about in the eighties, um, those illustrations, cat, what are you doing? Um, the illustrations on the cover of those, on the covers of those VHS boxes, are creepier than the movies they're advertising in a lot of cases because the painter who painted them, you know, a lot of them are oil paintings that were then, you know, uh, turned into VHS boxes and that kind of thing. Um, 
those the, the artists who painted them were not constricted by any sort of you know special effects budget or lack thereof so you know a lot of times those covers you'd see you, you know like um uh, I'm trying to think of like one that I really, some of the ones that I really love, like uh, um, Lucio Fulci's City of the Living Dead, which is a movie that I like, but like the the cover illustration is amazing. And the movie is like this sort of mid budget, like early 80s Italian horror film that you can tell like not a lot of money was spent making this movie, but the artist they got to draw the cover uh, the poster or the VHS box is like that, that he was good, you know? And so I would, I would walk through the video store and just like gawk at these VHS boxes and all the, um, the nightmare on Elm street series boxes, VHS boxes, which were based on the theatrical posters, which were the first boy, at least the first four, I want to say were all painted by the same guy. And like the, the, they're all really good, but the first one I think still stands out to me the most, which is it's a painting of Nancy and she's in, she's in bed and she's kind of got the covers pulled up like about to her middle of her chest or her chin. And then there's just a suggestion of Freddie sort of over her. So you can see the claws on his glove kind of coming over her head and you don't really get the full effect of his burned face. It's more like kind of like a, a phantom skull with one eye that you see kind of coming over her. And it says, if Nancy doesn't wake up screaming, she won't wake up at all. And, uh, just like stuff like that. And then of course, when I got old enough to watch the movies, then I would go back and sort of watch all the ones that I had sort of obsessed over the VHS boxes of. And there's still a couple that I know I have recently. I watched one that I was like, Oh, I remember that box. And I watched it and I was like, that movie's really bad. I don't <laughs> The box art is way better than that movie. But um, once I got old enough to kind of handle it, I just sort of went full on into, I mean, I love all kinds of genre cinema. I love science fiction movies as well. I love action movies. I think, you know, if, you, if you're aware of my presence on social media, I, for a long time, I did a podcast called The Action Cast, which was about action movies. And we recently brought it back as a monthly stream that we do on YouTube, uh, typically on the f- second Monday of every month. We do The Action Cast um, and talk about action movies. So it's, you know, genre cinema is, as a whole is uh, something that I love. I, I, I think a lot of people view it as trash, and I think that that is really unfair um, to genre cinema and to horror film and to action film. And there's just there's work that's been done in those areas that is just you just can't find it anywhere else. There are horror films with makeup effects and special effects work that's done on a shoestring budget that you know is unbelievably convincing. Um. That wouldn't get, you know, the effects of that level really wouldn't move to mainstream film uh, until later because it it just wasn't something that I think people thought of doing. And then, you know, now you see mainstream crime films where the kind of gore effects that you used to only see in horror movies um, are are on display uh, to some extent. And I think... I think what fascinates me about it now, what I like about it now, and I'm not the first person to say this um, or to process it this way, but I think in some ways um, horror helps you deal with um, fear in a healthy way. Um, And I think – and for some people not. Like my wife 
hates horror movies and with very few exceptions she really doesn't watch them can't watch them um but for people who do like them i think a lot of it is about dealing with fear in a healthy and safe way um and uh, i mean also i just think monsters are cool and practical effects are cool and like slimy puppets that spurt blood out of their eyes are cool like that chainsaws are cool and like decapitations are cool you know that stuff is just it's fun and it's cool and it's ridiculous and it's silly and it's trashy and it's a total blast and i think you know for me um some of the best experiences I've had with strangers um, are like when you go see a band you're really into and when you go see a revival screening of a movie that you really like um, or or you go to see like just this weekend um, I watched a what was what would normally be my local nonprofit theaters 12 hour horror movie marathon uh, at at the theater, but this year they did it virtually. So they um, arranged to do virtual screenings of these seven movies and they showed them all. Um, you know, you, you'd buy a, t- buy a ticket quote unquote, and then you'd get access to this live stream. And then they streamed them all on Saturday. Um, and it's 12 hours and it's not quite the same watching them that way. But when you are there in the theater, like when you, when you, like last year I went to this thing. And so when it's at the theater to not avoid, to avoid like overlapping or canceling other screenings, um, this theater, the Belcourt theater in Nashville, Tennessee, they do it. It's from 10 PM to 10 AM last, like when they do it at the theater this year, it was from 2 PM to 2 AM. Cause there's no, it was virtual. So it didn't matter, but um, they do it overnight so that it's not bumping other screenings out. Cause they only have, you know, two or three screens. And so when you're in that audience and you're sitting there with, you know, nobody that you actually know, in my case, nobody that I actually know, like I, I, my, again, my wife doesn't go in for that stuff. Um, last October, I'd only lived in Nashville for about eight months. I didn't really know anybody. I'd barely started working a new job here and I just like didn't know anyone. So I went by myself and you're just surrounded by sort of like-minded people, right? The kind of people who will go to a 12 hour overnight horror movie marathon on a Saturday night in October. And, um, just the reactions that you get to stuff and the way people act in between the screenings. And you talk to people when you're waiting in line at the snack bar about like, Oh man, I'd, I'd never seen that one before. That was super rad. And you see stuff that you've never seen before and maybe you wouldn't think to see. And, um, there are always, going to be elements of toxicity in any sort of, I hesitate to say fandom, but any kind of community, online communities. Um, but I think a lot of times the horror community, there's so people in the horror community are so used to being treated like weirdos, um, that a lot of times they're very welcoming and it's a really, um, fun group. Like one of the only things I miss about having like jettisoned myself off of Facebook um, in recent months is that, uh, there was a horror movie group that I was part of that was, um, for the most part, pretty good and pretty fun and had some like fun discussions about like, you know, movies you haven't seen or your favorite movies or your favorites from the seventies, your favorites from the fifties or your favorites from the thirties or your favorites from the universal monster cycle and, um, all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't know. I, it's, again, it's hard to explain really. Um, it's just, I, I, 
I don't know. I think they're weird and cool and gory and bloody and sometimes not that and sometimes they're sexy and sometimes they're not and sometimes they're a lot of fun and sometimes they're really not sometimes they're harrowing but i think there's something fun about that too when they're really harrowing um that's a different kind of enjoyment i think you get out of that when you leave a movie theater and you're like whew that was that was something you know that was i don't know if i'll watch that movie again ever but i'm glad i saw it the one time you know I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling now. <laughs> Thank you, Joe, for taking time out of your day to talk to us about some folklore in from the state of Wisconsin where he grew up. And I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation that Joe and I had. I'll say I want your guys' thoughts and opinions as well of what Joe Drilling and I talked about in that part of the show. And please check everything that is uh, happening that Joe's doing. Check him out on Twitter at shake underscore well. Again, follow Joe on Twitter at shake underscore well. And here is one more clip from the old ghost to ghost AM with the legendary Art Bell on this edition of Conversations with the Dog. First time caller line, uh, Chris in Nebraska. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I wanted to share with you guys a story that... uh, kind of spooked the bejesus out of me, but at the same time was kind of a a relief. I uh, used to be an over-the-road trucker, and I was cruising down I-40 in New Mexico when uh, I got flagged over on the CB from another trucker that there'd been a rollover accident, and uh, uh, all the passengers in the vehicle had been ejected, and it took a long time to get any kind of state patrol or flight for life medics or anything out there, but... Uh, there was a young girl that had gone into shock, and I wrapped her up in a blanket and was holding her. And uh, about an hour and 15 minutes later, they finally got there and got the, the major triage taken care of. And My God, that is a long time. It, it, was, it was a rough go. But uh, when they finally came up and, and to take the girl from me, they uh, had told me that she'd expired. She, she'd passed on. And uh, I never knew it. And uh, so I was kind of a devastating thing for me. I avoided that uh, I-40 interstate, ran many miles out of my way just to stay out of there for a long time. Got in a hurry one night coming out of California and uh, decided I'd had to run I-40. And uh, just as I passed the mile marker where that accident had happened, my little dog that had been running with me forever, never messed in the truck before, uh, relieved himself in my passenger seat, and it went oh. yipping and screaming into the back of the sleeper. And uh, I looked into the back of the sleeper to see what was wrong with him, and he was down there cowered under the under my bunk. And as I looked back to the road, I noticed that there was a young girl sitting in the passenger seat of my truck. That would be my last trip on I-40. I scared the bejesus. I almost wrecked my truck. 
but she was, uh, you know, very, I mean, ghostly, I guess. I uh, could kind of see through her. I could see my door on the other side through her. And uh, she just looked at me and she smiled. And in a very, very soft voice, she said, thank you. And uh, I'm okay. And she was gone. Oh, and that's an just, awesome story. I, <laughs> I pulled over and walked around my truck for a long, long time before I got back in it. But, uh, you know, it's like I said, the most terrifying experience of my life and probably the most satisfying, you know, is just something inner, in, inside that really settled. But uh, I hear you. Chris, uh, thank you very, very much for the story. That is, uh, actually, that's kind of a heartwarming story. Not all ghost stories are scary. Although I suppose, no matter what, they're scary at the time. But in reflection, obviously, he had done something um, that she very much appreciated, and she somehow made it back to say so. That was uh, quite something. I definitely had to give Chris from Nebraska, that trucker, a run of applause because being a over-the-road trucker, cruising and bruising, keeping our highway safe and hot for deliveries of whatever he's delivering, I give him much kudos for that. And hearing stories like that, Hearing people's experiences on dealing with accidents, being shooken up, even helping people until the first responders get there, definitely isn't a easy thing or a fun experience to deal with. And hearing Chris from Nebraska's trucker story with Art Bell on a past Ghost to Ghost AM episode definitely gave you the chills and gave you the chills re-listening to it for this edition of Conversations with the Dog because just how his dog acted in the cab having an accident on the pasture seat hiding underneath his bunk in the back and seeing a ghost of a girl in his pasture seat and being able to see through her and seeing the inside of the pasture door of his truck. Uh-uh. Stuff like that would make me reconsider my career path, my job choice. And make me want to do maybe something else. Make me want to go into a different career other than over-the-road trucking. Stories like that makes me appreciate truckers that much more and knowing that my grandfather my mom's dad was a over-the-road trucker for many years before he retired hearing any kind of stories paranormal or not from over-the-road truckers always make me wonder what my grandfather experienced over the road more so if he's had any ghostly encounters if you saw stuff flying overhead, seeing, seeing things that's unexplainable like I did and talked about earlier in the podcast. But yeah, I've just been curious on your guys's if you guys had any kind of ghost stories or have any odd 
road trips as well because stuff like that always always intrigues me and always interests me. And, stu- and I just always enjoy hearing stories like that. And I hope you guys enjoyed this edition of Conversations with the Dog. And I hope you guys enjoyed the stories, the clips that I played, and all that. And with that, I think I'm hearing a tap on my apartment door. Could it be a ghost? Could it be an alien? Could it be the end of the world as I know it? Could it be Art Bell? Could it be my grandfather? I guess I gotta hit the stop button on this edition of Conversations with the Dog. And I'll have to go find out. On a mountain of skulls in the castle of pain, I sat on a throne of blood. What was will be, what is will be no more. Now is the season of evil.